So again, if you want uh, Christmas with Chris, just put CC anywhere on the Connect card, and uh, we will get that to you. Um, it's been exciting. Well, a couple of years ago, uh, I got a prompting uh, in which I felt like I needed... How's everybody doing temperature-wise? Are you cold, hot? How many are cold? How many are hot? How many don't care? Okay, maybe we'll just try to cut it off, maybe, here. So somebody could do that. Well, a couple years ago, I got a uh, prompting about my Bible reading plan. One of the things that we try to encourage you guys, and I have constantly, is uh, to read your Bible. I, I mean, the only way that your Bible is going to be read is if you read it. I can't read it for you. You have to read it. But uh, when you read the Bible, it is the guaranteed one way that God will speak to you because they're His words. And so I got this prompting a couple of years ago to uh, read the entire Bible. Now, I had read the entire Bible in a one year before, and it almost killed me. I mean, I almost passed out. By the end, I was like, oh, please, you know. And... Uh, but I think God knew that I'm a slow reader and just kind of remedial uh, anyway. And so they came out with this two-year Bible. And so for the past two years, uh, I've been reading through the Bible. And on May 16th of this year, uh, I started in a book called Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And when I started to read it, I realized how meaty this book really is. And uh, the first time I remember reading Isaiah all the way through, uh, I kind of did the skim version. You ever do that before? Kind of like read the first line, read the last line, and you're like, I'm good, and just go on. And uh, so that's what I did because I didn't get it. Now this time, I thought, you know, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to read it. And so I did. Guess what? I still didn't get a whole lot, you know, from it because it's just some deep thinking there. But there were a few things that I did get, and I underlined those. And one of the verses that we're going to look at today is one of those things that I think shows a tremendous power. Now, before we jump right in, I want to kind of give you a background information on this guy named Isaiah. Because in the Bible, you might read something, you're like, okay, who was he? What, what was he like? Well, first of all, he was a prophet. In other words, he was a person who spoke on behalf of God. God gave him words, and then Isaiah gave those words uh, to uh, people, um, almost like maybe a, a pastor today. Now, he was the least likely qualified person to be a prophet. I mean, he didn't have any of the credentials whatsoever, and yet God chose him. And that's the thing with you folks. If you're available, God's going to use you and do some amazing things in your life. He doesn't care what your qualifications are, what your credentials are. He's simply looking for one thing. Are you available? And if you're available, he says, I can work with that. And so that's the way Isaiah was. He was also extremely wealthy. He wasn't a poor prophet. He was a wealthy one. And he was highly educated, extremely highly educated. He wrote his book around the year 700 B.C. 
So 700 years before Christ, before Jesus was born, he was already sharing what was going to happen. And he spoke mainly to a group of people in Jerusalem. It's kind of like his message went beyond that, but his main target was Jerusalem. Kind of like maybe our main target is Muncie, but some of you are from Delaware County. And then there might be some of you from East Central Indiana, and so you kind of have a connection. So that's who Isaiah spoke with. And he was a prophet, and get this, for 44 years. I mean, I'm only 30 years old. Okay, I'm not. But I'm 40, and I can't imagine 44 years of doing, you know, this. And uh, he was a family man. He was married, and he had a couple of sons. And one day, Isaiah has this powerful experience with God. It was so powerful, folks, that it literally rocked his world. And he was a wealthy, educated person going down one particular track. And when God came and gave him this powerful moment, he totally went the other direction and he said, God, however you want to use me, I'm open and receptive to being used by you. You know, there are many of us in this room, not all of us, but many of us, in which there has been a moment in your life in which God has rocked your world. A time in which you were going in one direction, maybe there's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, whatever, and God rocked your world and all of a sudden you said, I'm doing something different. Sometimes it's caused by pain. Sometimes God sends us a blessing. Sometimes we read a book, uh, we read the Bible and we're changed. Sometimes a new friend comes into our life. Sometimes for some of you who are new and here for the first time, it's a celebration, a church celebration of people kind of coming and connecting. But some of you know what it's like to get your world rocked and to turn to God. And Isaiah did this, and then he said, once my world got rocked, I'll speak on behalf of God whatever you want me to say. And one of the texts that became one of the most famous ones that he ever Uh, wrote was in chapter 9, verse 6, and this is what it says. And he, this is 700 years before Jesus, and he, the coming Christ, who will be Jesus, will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I have a feeling that many of you have seen this on Christmas cards, or you will. And uh, I'd like to spend a little bit of time on each one of these words. So Isaiah says, hey, it's 700 B.C., but someone's coming. And it might be centuries from now, and it was. But someone's coming, and this is what he's going to be called. And he's going to have all of these personality traits. So the first name that he kind of throws out there is the word wonderful. He says, when this guy comes, he's going to be wonderful, which also could be translated marvelous. Okay, a little uh, trivia for those of you who are sports buffs. There was a professional boxer uh, in the 1980s whose first name was Marvelous. Who was it? Look at that. Wow, I wasn't so sure, but man. 
hip, we're a hip church, you know. Marvelous Marvin Hagler. And um, he had a tremendous record, was undefeated for a long time, and he thought he was marvelous. In fact, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but he actually legally changed his name, his first name, to be Marvelous. And so when sports reporters would write about him, if they didn't put Marvelous Marvin Hagler, his lawyers would go and actually sue them because his name was Marvelous. Isn't it amazing what you can learn in church? I mean, unreal. Well, anyway, Isaiah says there is someone who's coming. He is going to be marvelous. He is going to be so wonderful. When people get to know him, they're just going to look at him and they're going to go, he is wonderful. Time and time again, he is marvelous. When he teaches, not the way that when I teach how people respond, but when he teaches... People are going to look and go, his teaching is wonderful. And when they, see a pers- when they see this person walking around and interacting with people, they'll say, his personality is wonderful. And when they are filled with shame and they feel guilty about past mistakes that they've made, and he comes to them and he gives them forgiveness. They'll say his forgiveness is like none other because his forgiveness is wonderful. When he describes his mission of seeking out people who are far from God and loving them into a relationship with him, when he gives hope to the hopeless, when he gives help to the homeless, people will shake their heads and they'll say, You know what? Isn't it so great to see a leader finally that it's not about ego, it's not about himself, but this guy, he's just wonderful because of who he is. And when life draws to a close and his followers actually go on the other side of earth and they stand in heaven for the very first time, they'll just look and they'll go, this is so wonderful. This past Tuesday, I went out to dinner with a friend of mine. We were at uh, Scotty's uh, down in the village, and uh, we're sitting, we're eating, and uh, all of a sudden, I get this phone call from my wife. And uh, pick up the call, and, and she says, Chris, your mom just called, and she's not seen your dad all afternoon. And that's when all that bad weather was going on, and, and she's called him several times, And he has not returned any of her calls. And at first I'm thinking, "Ah, you know, no big deal. I mean, they've been married 54 years. Maybe he doesn't like to talk to her that much anymore. And uh, so I go ahead and I call him. And uh, usually he always answers my calls. And I called and he didn't answer. And so I called a couple more times and left messages, nothing. My mom went ahead and called some of the guys that he works with. And uh, Jennifer called uh, the funeral home where he works part-time at and asked them if they knew, and they didn't know. Last time anyone saw him was at 1.30 uh, that afternoon. And before long, all of a sudden, you know, I, I really started to worry. 
Maybe something happened to him. Um, maybe he was in a wreck. Maybe, you know, he had a stroke at the will. And in the midst of all this worry, all of a sudden I just got this sense of peace from God that said, Chris, even if that happens, your dad has been a follower of Christ his whole life. He has been a pastor for 40 years. He loves God. He, he's ready for that. And if it happened in that moment, what he's experiencing right in that moment is the most wonderful thing, folks. I don't think you understand how wonderful heaven is. In fact, I heard one time somebody said, if you knew how wonderful heaven is, there would be mass suicide in our world. And I just thought to myself, I thought, you're right. And so I kind of got a piece and I get a phone call. And uh, my wife said, everything's fine. The lost has been found. He was shoveling his sidewalk and his driveway, and everything's okay. And I'm thinking to myself, I love my dad, but he's an idiot. (laughs) He's 74 years old. He doesn't need to shovel. Number two, he lives in a condo place. They do all that for him anyway. (laughs) And I'm thinking, seriously, you know? Folks, I'm telling you, heaven is going to be wonderful. And Isaiah says, when this guy comes, it is just going to be wonderful. Here's the second name that he gives to him. Counselor. Counselor. You know, whenever I hear someone say that they're a counselor, to be quite honest, I'm not that impressed. I mean, I don't know about you, but... I've referred a lot of people. I've been to therapy. Jennifer and I have been to therapy. It's a good thing for you to go, but it's good to have a right counselor because I know some wacky counselors out there. And that's why if you're going through stuff, you should go to counseling, but get a good Christian counselor, somebody who's going to have that worldview. And so um, when people say, oh, yeah, I'm a counselor, I I often want to ask, well, who do you counsel? And is your counseling any good? And do people actually have their lives changed and do they become better after they're with you? And Isaiah says, there's somebody who's coming who is an awesome counselor. In fact, he's such an awesome counselor. He was the first part of the council in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. This guy was there at the very beginning. He was a part of the council that created the heavens and the earth. Everything that you see, everything that moves, everything you don't see, he was a part of that council. In fact, in Genesis it says this. It says, let what? What's the word? Us create man in our own image. In other words, that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all there creating in community together. I mean... He was in the circle, folks, that created everything and gave counsel. Every motion, everything. That is an impressive counselor, right? If you created the earth, you're pretty impressive. And everything else that comes along with that. And he says, I'm going to make 
my counsel available not just to presidents and kings, not just to pastors and to priests, but he says, I'm going to make my counsel available to every single person who will choose to surrender and say, you be the leader of my life. And he says, if you let me do that, I'll give you counsel anytime. Anytime you want, folks. You don't have to come to me. You don't have to come to a priest. You don't have to come to a holy person. You and God have a direct line. And he'll give you counsel. You know, I love our uh, staff that God has built here at the JAR over the past year. And it's been such a joy to work with them. And they've become more than just uh, people that, uh, you know, work, but they've become friends of mine. And Derek, uh, who led worship this morning, uh, he went to Ball State. And while he was at Ball State, uh, he was playing for a group on campus called uh, Campus Crusade for Christ and doing an outstanding job. Um, you know, about 600 students uh, would just kind of be there and he'd, he'd be leading them. Just awesome. And Jennifer, our children's ministry uh, director and our admin assistant, uh, she was actually the director of a great preschool in our community called Hazelwood uh, Preschool. And so that's kind of her background. And Mikey... Uh, after he um, graduated from Taylor, he actually went in the business world, and uh, he was a computer programmer for a big motor company up in northern Indiana. And when each of them uh, came and connected in this place, and I kind of went through an interview with them, I just asked him, why did you come here? You know? And everyone said, well, there was this prompting There was this whisper. There was this wise counsel that told me, don't go this path. I want you to go down this path. And they're here. And that's my story too. God said, Chris, I want you to start a church in Muncie, and I never want you to question me again. And I was like, all right, I'm in. I trust you. And for some of you who are sitting there right now, you may be searching and seeking. I'm telling you, what Isaiah would say is go to the wise counsel. Go to the counselor and ask him, and he'll direct your steps. You know, if I live to be 100 years of age, I will never go weary of how God counsels people if they turn to him. How he guides their lives. How he directs them. Now, I don't want to embarrass anyone here, but if you would do this with me, I think it would be beneficial. How many of you are facing a tough decision right now, and you know more than likely you're going to have to make this decision before the end of the year? How many of you, if you just raise your hand, how many of you have a tough decision that you have to make? Okay, there's several. And, um, you know, sometimes when we come into different seasons of our life, And there are difficult choices we have to make. Maybe it's a vocational, a job decision. Or we have a financial decision. Or a relational decision. The clock is ticking. And all of a sudden, you know you have to make a decision. And you don't know what to do. And sometimes, it affects things in your life. Like maybe it's your your marriage is going bad. And you're going to have to make a decision. Your kid has lost their way, and you're going to have to do something. And you feel the stress building in your life, and you're like, I've got to make some type of decision, but I'm not confident what to do. 
And Isaiah would say, seek the counsel of the one who's called the great counselor. He will give you counsel. He will give you wisdom. You know, just in a practical way, when I have a a difficult decision to make, what I'll do is I take my journal and I just kind of open it up. And you don't have to have a journal like this, but you can pick one of your own. Just get a piece of paper if you have to. And I I pull it out and I just kind of go to a page and I'll say, God, this is a difficult decision I have right now, but I'm doing the best that I know and, and this is what I think is the wise choice. But God, you know I'm not wise. My wisdom does not come even close compared to yours. So I'll take this and I'll put it out and I'll say, God, you know, your servant, you just tell me what to do with this decision and I'll do it. And it reminded me of a verse that's in Isaiah that when I read during this time, and it says this, God says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than my ways, and your thoughts are greater than my thoughts. God, your ways are greater than mine, and your thoughts are higher than mine. And so, God, this is where it's at. I'm writing it down. I'm putting it down. And whatever you want to do, and sometimes, I know it sounds weird, but I'll just open it up and I'll put my hands over it and I'll just pray. I'll say, God, if there's a different direction you want me to go, if there's something different you want me to do, I'm open to it. You just tell me. Now, let me be totally honest. Sometimes I don't get anything. I mean, nothing comes from the council of heaven. I pray, I listen, and I get nada, nothing, zilch, nothing. And in those times, what I finally kind of discerned is that I figure that God must say, Bunch, this is something you can handle. You might not screw this one up so bad. But just as many times, he gives me clear, direct whispers of saying, this is what I want you to do. And sometimes it's not clear at first, and so I have to ask wisdom of other people and... uh, Seek some other thoughts. But eventually the fog kind of clears and I get a clear direction of where I think God is calling me to go. And God gives gives counsel. He says, yes, that's it. Go for it. I had a very difficult decision to make a couple of months ago. A guy who had kind of been a consultant here at the JAR since we first started had become more than just a consultant. He'd actually become a mentor and a friend to me. And uh, I had a whisper a few months ago when we were going through our whisper campaign. I just felt like he wasn't going to take us where we needed to go. And so I took my journal out, and you can go up here and read it if you want. You know, if you don't believe me, I wrote it down. I go, God, I don't know what to do, but I feel like there might be a change. And in the midst of all of that, he took me in a totally different direction. And he said, yeah, this is the time for the change. And so before Thanksgiving, I drove two and a half hours to Cincinnati and I sit across from a guy who part of what he gets paid is from here. And I give up some of my salary so he can help me. And I sit there and I have to tell him after a five to six year relationship, I think we're going a different direction. And to my amazement, he was like, okay, I understand. It's fine. And God put together... Uh, some other people who are going to help us. And I've just met with the leadership team and a couple other key leaders the last couple days. Folks, I'm just telling you, you're going to have to hold on to your hats. Because what God's going to do 
in these next five years is going to be so amazing that you're going to say, I'm so glad I stuck with that place called the jar because lives are being changed, God is being lifted up, and people are never going to be the same again because we've been faithful and done the best that we can to surrender to God. And so I'm just telling you, if you want to be a church that's on the move, stay here. If you don't, go somewhere else. But over the next five years, folks, we're going to be moving in ways and living in ways. And this is not our permanent facility. You know, just because we've been here for a while, some people think, hey, man, this must be home. I don't want to be in a sweaty gym the whole life, you know. I love the gym. I think it's been a great gift. But, folks, we're not going to be here forever. And you know why? Because there's more people that God's going to use to help us to reach out to those who are hurting. And if you want to see some of that, look in your program. The JAR 2.0 that I shared at the beginning of this year, folks, it's going to become a reality. And you can read it, and you can, you can sense where we're going. But I'm just convinced, folks, that when we do things like that, when we pull something out and we go, God, I'm not sure, but would you give me some wise counsel? Would you give me some wisdom? He answers it. The next word is mighty God. Mighty God. He says, this child who is coming is going to be a mighty God. Now, folks, I don't think we have any idea how explosive of a word that was to Isaiah's culture. Because, you know, it's one thing to say someone's coming who's going to be wonderful. Whoop-dee-doo, you know? And no, no, no. Someone's coming who's going to be a good counselor. Woo! You know? Going to give my life to that person. But all of a sudden, Isaiah comes and he says, no, someone's coming who's going to be a mighty God. And folks, for Isaiah's culture, those were fighting words. And now, run the clock ahead, the birth of Jesus comes, and the angels say this. They say, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which translated means, what's it say? God with us. And they go on to say, you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I mean, his divinity is just shown here that this isn't just a good teacher. This is God himself. And then you run the clock a little bit further forward. Um, What is it that finally got Jesus killed? It wasn't his preaching. It wasn't his prayers. It wasn't his personality. It wasn't his miracles. What finally got him killed was when he said, I'm it. I'm God. Remember before uh, his trial? They were asking him, are you telling us that you are the Son of God, that you are God in flesh? And Jesus said, I am. And not too long after that, the place goes nuts, and they drag him out in the streets, and they beat him, and they put him to a cross, and they crucify him. Now, I don't want to go down this road too far, but I just want you to know this, folks, that Muhammad never claimed to be God. Confucius never, uh, you know, uh, proved that he was God. And, you know, Buddha never claimed to be God. 
but without any sense of pride or self, you know, delusion. Jesus simply said these words. He said, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And then he would do miracles that would prove that. And then he would die on a cross. But he didn't stay on the cross because three days later he rose again. And he proved he was who he said he would be. Make no mistake about it. Isaiah, when he says he will be a mighty God, Jesus actually then showed up and he proved it. And every person listening right now, this morning, you have to decide Is he who he said he was? Are you rock solid that he is mighty God or isn't he? Is he the mighty God in your life or isn't he? For some of you, if you're saying, yeah, he is, then our baptism class today, you just need to go. The Colts are playing at one. It's going to be painful. You want life? Come to the baptism class. What are you waiting for? I mean, if you've been sitting there your whole life, and you've been coming and you've been connecting with God, you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't think I'm perfect. Folks, no one's perfect enough. But if you're just simply available, he says, let's get wet, let's get free, and let's get going. Next word, everlasting father. Isaiah says this guy is going to be an everlasting father. Father. You know, none of our earthly fathers, folks, are everlasting. I mean, not to be depressing or gloomy or anything this morning, but the reality is, folks, none of our earthly fathers are going to live forever. In fact, uh, if you would, just by a show of hands, how many of you have lost your dads? Raise your hand. Just keep it up for a second. I'd like you to look around, those of you who haven't. Look how many people in this place, have lost their father. This past week, uh, a friend of mine uh, who lost his dad last year on January 1st, um, this week was when he had his first heart attack and he was in the hospital. and, And I just, I don't know, I had a heaviness for him. And so I connected with him and just wanted him to know, hey, I'm thinking about you. I know that this season can be difficult. I want you to know I'm praying for you. You need anything, I'm here. And folks, to be honest, I don't know what it's like to lose my dad. One day I will, but I don't know. But I can't imagine that. It's probably one of the most intense pains that any human being ever experiences. So I just wanted my friend to know that, hey, I'm here. And uh, you need me, I'm here. And we were texting back and forth, and finally, all of a sudden, this scripture came to me in Isaiah, or in Psalm, 80, uh, in Psalm 68, verse 5, and it says this. He says, he is a father to the fatherless. He is a father to the fatherless. And I just wanted my friend to know that though his earthly father isn't here, his heavenly father is right there, and his heavenly father would never leave him, would never walk away, would never abandon ship. Death would never keep his father, his heavenly father, away from him. You know, folks, almost all of us in this place will lose our dad 
more than likely. And you'll have to decide if you're going to go it alone and you're going to do it on your own and I'll fight through it and I'll be okay, or you're going to have to say, you know what, I have to run into the arms of my heavenly Father who loves me enough, who cares for me, and who never abandons me, who never walks away. The Father you'll never lose again. And I was thinking about my friend and I was thinking about the greatest joy was that just a few days before he died, in fact, it was about the last time that he was conscious that he woke up and we led him to Christ. And that doesn't happen all the time. But I just thought, one day, folks, there's going to be a reunion. There's going to be like all these fathers who have died, and when you get there, you're going to be like, Dad, but it's not going to be your dad. It's going to be your heavenly father. And you'll be like, Oh, and look, there's my dad right there. And we're walking together. Folks, when Isaiah predicted everlasting father, that's what Jesus becomes to you. That's why you would have to give your, you would have to be insane not to give your very life to a father who would last forever. And I just want you to know that some of you who have lost your dads, I want you to know you're not fatherless. You're not. And your heavenly Father, He loves you. He's there for you. He'll be present with you. He'll guide you. He'll affirm you. He'll encourage you. When you're sad, when you're alone, when you're by yourself, I just ask you, cry out to your everlasting Father. And just like the prodigal son, He'll open arms wide open and He'll carry you in. Okay, one last word. He says, I'm going to call... This person that's coming will be called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. You see this all the time, don't you? On billboards, uh, bumper stickers, it'll say, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, or Jesus is the Prince of Peace, um, peace on earth, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, throughout this year I was thinking, there has rarely been a day in which I didn't watch the news or read the newspaper or looked in a magazine in which there wasn't some war or revolution that was happening in the Middle East. From Egypt to Libya to Tunisia to Yemen, and it goes on and on, and there have been large amounts of blood that has been spilled. I was looking uh, just the other day about 4,000 people in Libya in a war that has not been that long. Over 4,000 already have died. And I really do hope, folks, that peace comes in the Middle East. I pray for it. I really hope it does. You know, all of our troops in Iraq uh, should be home. We shouldn't have anything by the end of the year is what they kind of predict. And when they pull out of Iraq, I really pray that that whole thing doesn't blow up. I pray that peace stays there. Some of you have daughters and sons or friends and family that are in the military service right now. And they're doing an amazing job. And I'm so proud of what our soldiers do. And they're in places. And I hope and pray that they'll be safe and they'll be okay. And maybe if they get furloughed, you know, for a little bit or whatever the word is, that they can come home at Christmas and they can, can be with family. 
But folks, don't you kind of don't you kind of wish that there was peace on earth? Like, I mean, just like right now, that there would be peace. You know, our worldwide economy right now is really shaky. Europe creates issues and creates issues with us, and poverty is rising, and food costs are rising, gas prices are rising, education seems like it's falling down, and, you know, school systems are not panning out, and, you know, there's just related economy stuff. You ever think what we spend on defense in the world? I mean, I only work one hour a week, so I got a lot of time on my hand, you know. And uh, so in all my time this week, uh, you know, I started looking at the top ten countries of how much they spend on military defense. Anybody want to take a guess what the top ten countries just in a year, 12 months, spend? $1.5 trillion. Dollars. That's right, a T, trillion dollars. Now, I just was thinking to myself this week, do you, can you imagine what we could do with $1.5 trillion? I looked it up this week. You know what it would cost to feed every single person in the world for the rest of their life so they would not have to starve anymore? The rest of their life, not just for it. A year, but for the rest of their life. You know how much that costs? $20 billion. 13% of what we spent. We could feed everybody in the world for the rest of their life. And you think, well, what could we do with $1.5 trillion? We could clothe every naked kid. We could give homes to people who were homeless. We could educate everyone on planet Earth. Think about the diseases we could get rid of. Think about, you know, AIDS that could be eliminated maybe. Cancer research. And many of you have been affected by cancer. It'd just be out the wazoo. I mean, there could be uh, just an unlimited amount of what we could do if we could just get people to stop fighting each other. This week I talked to a few soldiers. And I've talked to soldiers all the time because I value them so much and what they do for our country. And every single one of them, when I talk to them about those who've been in war, and I ask them about war, they go, war is insane. You would never understand it unless you were in the military. But if you were, you would know, and you fought an active battle, that sometimes it is just insane what human beings can do to other human beings. And it's insane for family members who have their sons and daughters come back in boxes. And it's insanely expensive. It keeps us from doing what God would have us to make things better. So when Isaiah says, someone who's coming who is the Prince of Peace, everybody on planet Earth should say, come! (laughs) Like, we're ready for you to come to Earth. And you know, when Jesus did come, and He began His adult ministry, one day He came to a multitude of people says he was on this mountain, he sits on a chair, and he starts talking to him, and he says these words. He says, blessed are the what? What's it say? Peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. Jesus knew the insanity of war. And then he said, if that's not enough, he challenged them even more. He said, with his guts, he said, love your enemies. I'll tell you what, that's the hardest teaching I think he ever gave in the world. Love my enemies. I can't do that. 
It's too difficult. He said you're going to have enemies in your life, and you have to learn how to love them. Would you just repeat that? Because all of us in this place, we have enemies. And uh, could you just repeat those words, love your enemies? Look, some of you are like, nope, I'm not doing it. I hate them. Let's try that again, okay? One, two, three. Love your enemies. Yeah. I got a better plan. He said, rather than blood being spilled, he said, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. You see, folks, the closer we get to Jesus, the more that we long to live in peace with other people. And slowly but surely, inside, we become peacemakers. And I'm not talking about political peace here. Peace, man, you know, peace. I'm talking about Jesus' peace, okay? A desire not to have revenge. A desire not to have, you know, uh, vengeance. A desire not to have an attitude that they did me wrong, so I'm paying them back. And I'm not so naive to think that tomorrow there's going to be peace on earth. But you know what I was thinking this week? In each one of our own worlds, we could create peace. We could have peace in our home when we go home today and tomorrow. I could live at peace with my neighbors. I could have peace with my kids. I could create peace in my workplace. So tomorrow, for those of you who are married, when your spouse goes off on you, you can just respond in peace. And on Tuesday, when your boss just yells at you and goes off, you can just smile and say, Peace, man. (laughs) And on Wednesday, when your kids, you know, backtalk you and put you down, don't yell at them. Just say in a very quiet voice, Peace, you little freak. Peace, you know. And on Thursday, when someone cuts you off in an intersection, just wave at them with all five fingers, you know? And maybe if you want, go down to two and say, peace, you know, peace. Folks, you are not responsible for how other people treat you. But you know what? You are responsible for how you treat others. And the Prince of Peace would encourage you, seek peace. Where in your life do you need peace today? Just go to the Prince of Peace. You know, one day the Prince of Peace is going to return. He really is. I don't know if it will be tomorrow or when it will be. But, like, you know, if I'm at Vegas, I'm like all in betting that that's going to happen. And I believe it. And when he comes, one day he'll bring peace to everything. And uh, it's going to be amazing. No more wars, no more people fighting each other, just living in love and peace. And Isaiah actually, he said these words. This is what's going to happen. He said they'll turn their swords into shovels. And I don't care where you're at politically. This isn't a political message, by the way. This is a Jesus message. That one day, folks, that'll be a reality. We won't fight each other, won't be divorce, won't be cancer, won't be hatred, won't be war. Just be the Prince of Peace. 
And that's being in his presence. So Isaiah says, there's a wonderful one who's coming. He's wonderful. And he gives good, good counsel. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. He says, you'll never be fatherless again. And he's the Prince of Peace. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, great is your name and greatly to be praised. Father, we know that the only hope is in the name of Jesus Christ because only he can really change us. And this Christmas, Lord, we desire to be changed. We want to be different this Christmas than we have been before. And today, God, for some of us, maybe you spoke to some of us. If you haven't, I pray, Holy Spirit, that if people have been wavering on whether they want to be baptized or not, make that commitment. God, speak to them right now. Say, today's the day. Let's do it. Let's get wet. Let's get set free. Let's go forward. Say, Jesus, I just want to be led by you. And God, for some of us today, we need to ask for forgiveness. We've hurt someone. We've said something. It may have been in the parking lot. You know, a lot of things happen in the parking lot before we ever get into this. Man, let's just be, whoever you are, just be the first person. God, give them the strength to just go and to make it right with that person. Pick up the phone call. If it's been some resentment for a long time, you be the first one. Be the bigger person. Pick up the phone. Make it right. God, for some of us, maybe we just need some time with you. Maybe we'd make a commitment right now, God, before I go to bed, I'm just going to get my earplugs to my iPod, put them in, and I'm just going to have some worship. I may be a horrible singer, but I'm just going to let you know how wonderful you are, how a good counselor you are to me. Now go, God. Now, God, go with us now. Help guide our steps and help us to love the people around us so that your name would be made great in our community. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, always know you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, there are people here to pray with you. Have a great week, guys.